Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Great Train Robbery, a 1903 uh, silent film. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that we have to call them silent films because at the time they came out, they were just called movies. <laughs> and it's also a black and white film. And it also has no dialogue at all, which is very interesting. Uh, I was familiar with the images in this movie but i've never actually seen it before so i appreciate you uh, pointing it out to me i'm glad you liked it um at least i hope you liked it yeah i did what what what, what story are you saying it telling well um it's a western <laughs> it's okay. a silent film it's a black and white film it's a a western and um, why well, is just it, the simple stuff? So it's, let me just run through the scenes and see if they make sense to you. Sure. Right? Um, it starts out um, with a shot of what we realize is a station agent in a railroad station. We know it's a station agent because uh, through his window, we see a moving train going by, which is really nifty since the picture quality <laughs> shows us that these are two different film images that have been work together. That's pretty good technically in 1903. Um, and two robbers come in. We know they're robbers because they've got guns, bad guys. And they force the station agent to uh, create a document, which they then knock him out, tie him up and go out with the document. The document, uh, I think, tells the engineer to stop down the road, down the track uh, at a water tower and refill the water for um, the boiler to keep the steam engine going, which we then see happen. And while the train is stopped for uh, rewatering, uh, now four robbers come and mount the train. They uh, go in, they uh, crawl across the top of the train. There's a fight between one of them and the coal stoker, uh, who's then, after he's knocked out his He's tossed off the train, although he's obviously a, a dummy, uh, a straw man. But the idea, we all get the idea. And then they overpower the uh, engineer and force him to stop the train, uh, decouple it from the passenger cars. They go into the passenger cars. And soon we see that all of the passengers coming out. Obviously, at gunpoint, they ro the robbers make them give their valuables uh, into a cases. One guy tries to run away. They shoot him immediately. Uh, once they've got sacks full of valuables, they run back to the locomotive and they get it going. Uh, at a certain point, they get off the locomotive, run down a hillside into a valley, ford a stream, and there are their horses waiting for them. Uh, while and then they go somewhere. Meanwhile, a, a girl comes, a young girl in a cape, looks like Little Red Riding Hood, probably the daughter of the station agent, comes in, sees her dad lying there, uses a knife to uh, loosen his bonds, uh, and he goes out of the door. Next, we see a dance hall. 
in which a bunch of Westerners are dancing amiably. An Easterner walks in. We can tell from his citified garb. They force him to dance. Uh, they make him dance by firing bullets at his feet, and they howl him out of the dance floor, in out of the dance hall. In comes the station agent who raises a cry, presumably also raising a posse, and then we see we're back in the woods with the robbers coming toward us down a path in the woods and the posse behind them. There is some gunfight uh, fire uh, while these guys are on horseback. One of the robbers is shot, we presume killed, but the other three escape. Next thing we know, we see the robbers again in another part of the woods, um, quickly trying to dismount and divvy up their goodies. In the background, we see the posse approaching them on foot. There is another gunfight. The the posse kill the robbers. And then, good citizens that they are, they regather all of the, the valuables, put them back in the sack. And we presume that they're going to take them back into town and return property to its rightful owner uh, owners. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention that when the robbers go on the train, we don't see them in the passenger car. But before we see them um, do anything, we see the mail car, mm-hmm. which for some crazy reason also has its door open and we can see the scenery moving by outside. Uh, yeah, I would think the mail would fly out, but that's how it's <laughs> done. So we can tell where we are um, when the robbers come in. They kill the mail clerk, uh, but they can't get into his strong box. So they dynamite it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's part of the loot that they take. Um, After we see the posse having regathered all of the loot, uh, both from the mail car and the passengers into the sacks, they go off, we presume, to the town. And the final shot is a close up of a scraggly fellow who looks like he might be a bad guy staring straight at us. And then from below the frame, he raises his right hand holding a revolver, which he points directly at us and fires two shots. And that's the end. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I think the story is that, is that the narrative? Yeah. Yeah. You've got it. Um, I, I was going to mention that the, the mail room scene really, uh, our mail car scene really, uh, was important because one of the things that I really dig about this film is, it sets a pattern that still resonates today, right? It has, I mean, there's been many other movies with that same title, The Great Train Robbery. Um, and they follow the exact same formula as this one. Um, but this one does it all wordlessly. Right. Not even any title frame, uh, yeah. uh, uh, slides. No title not not yeah. a single thing. Right. Which uh, is astounding because that's you don't really see that even like cartoons uh, usually have uh, you know Wiley Coyote and you know they they have sounds that sort of indicate their emotions. There's nothing. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking about it as I reviewed the film most recently. Uh, we know that guns are fired because smoke comes out of them. Yeah, and lots of smoke. We indeed. Um, and we know that 
of posse is being raised because the station agent comes in and his arms are wildly going back and forth in the air, you know, so clearly he's telling the people about something bad. Um, after the uh, Easterner uh, goes away, uh, but before the station agent comes in, we see them dancing and we see men and women on opposite sides going back and forth in this kind of line dancing thing where everybody knows how to cooperate. And you can see from their postures and their smiles that there's there's joy there. And of course, from the dancing, you know that there's music there. But we never hear the music. We never hear the call for a posse. We never hear the sound of a shot. Everything is done wordlessly, which sort of implies this wonderful um, equivalence between different ways of getting in information. Mm-hmm. It's it's also interesting, like um, in reading the Wikipedia entry on this, it's like it, it, you can see that interpretations have to be made. So who is that guy at the end uh, shooting at us? Um, what I noticed in watching the film before I read the Wikipedia entry is at some at the beginning, there's three robbers, then there's four robbers. And then at the end, when the three robbers are dividing the loot, they get shot. Uh, there's only three robbers. But then there's this final guy shooting at us. Um, and it, uh, to me, I'm like, is that the fourth robber? And and they, the Wikipedia entry says, yes, that's the he's the out, outlaw band leader, right? But what happens with with no words is you have to interpret everything. Um, and you say, this is the good guy and that's the bad guy. Uh, this is that character. And because the resolution's not that great, you know, uh, especially on the, uh, I guess, the non-fixed shots, um, it, you can't tell which actor's which except by what hat they have. You know? <laughs> right. I but think- it's still able to tell a, a story. And I, I think with that final with that final shot, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, um, <laughs> those final shots, you get uh, the sense of when you walked out of the movie theater, people are going to be talking. And uh, you still have that today where, you know, there's movies designed to make you start talking about it as soon as you walk out of the movie theater. One, one of the things that I look at, uh, I, I know that Porter is quoted, uh, the man who made the movie, uh, as having said that that final shot of the uh, – And I'll call him a bandit because he clearly is a bad guy, not only because he looks scruffy, but because he's dressed the way the bad guys were dressed. And anyone who will shoot you in the face is a bad guy by definition. Right. Um, So I write he's looking right at the camera. He's looking at us and shooting us in the face. So he's a bad guy. Um, Porter is quoted as having said that that shot, that sequence uh, could have been at the very beginning of the movie as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But it's never shown that way. I've never seen it that way. I think that although it could have been at the beginning, um, it would in that case have served as something of an establishing shot, but it would have given away the real underlying power of the movie. Um, if I may, I think I think this book, this this movie is is a Western-ish uh, movie. I say Western-ish because in an absolute pure Western, we have um, a lone hero who mediates between the, the in-group and the out-group. And the in-group represents 
civilization and it's further to the east, it's cities and they have, you know, schools and churches and wives um, and children uh, and the outgroup that lives to the west of the frontier. And that's all men typically. And they don't have those social institutions, but they have superior survival skills. Um, mm. Then there'll be the lone hero who mediates the conflict between the two. And then he either at the end, after settling, typically settling the hash of the outgroup in favor of the in-group, that is, he, he shares the values of the in-group, but the skills of the outgroup, he settles the hash of the outgroup. And then he either has to ride off into the sunset the way Shane does, because after all, if he hangs around, he's going to be the most dangerous person in town or he has to hang up his guns as the Virginian does in, in Owen Wister's classic novel. And frankly, that's what happens in Gunsmoke. I mean, that long running famous television series, Gunsmoke, that begins with every week uh, a shot of a gun duel on the streets of Dodge. And uh, Matt Dillon plays the marshal. Um, he walks around without a gun. Something will happen. He'll go get his guns. He will eventually settle the hash of the people who are involved, the outgroup. And then at the end of the episode, he'll hang up his guns. We even have the saloon there and all the townspeople getting along convivially with Miss Kitty running the saloon, um, just the way we have a dance hall here in Porter's film. Um, but we don't have that one lone hero. So it's not a true Western. It's Western-ish. But if you look at it as Western-ish, we have the Easterner being um, ridiculed as a feat. And he, in fact, is made to dance. He starts out trying to dance as if he were some dandy kind of tap dancing. They fire the bullets and he gets all flustered and he runs away. So the Easterner can't settle for himself. He's, he's That force is inadequate where we are. The outgroup guys, the bandits, they can't be put down by themselves. The, the station agent who is the representative of the growing uh, America, he can't do it. But a posse can. And so when we see the dance hall, everybody is convivial. Uh, mm -hmm. What we know is that all of these people, the citizens of, of the town collectively, are the moral center of this, this film. That is, they have collectively the survival skills necessary to beat back the bad guys and maintain what looks like capitalist ownership of property. We're going to get all this loot together and bring it back where it belongs and so on at the cost of great violence, um, which they play with by shooting at the feet of the uh, the Easterner. So the East can't protect itself. The outgroup is not ultimately successful. So the, in the place of the lone hero, what we have is the community in the frontier town. And so the way this movie almost ends, we see that by banding together, the community in this frontier town can preserve the possibility of moving west. The train is always going from right to left, right? It's always heading toward the west. Um, we always see that Easterners are coming out here. I mean, this is, a, this is the growth of America, but the moral center is that little town, which of course ultimately becomes small town America as an ideal. 
The reason I say it almost ends there is because once we see everybody happy at the end, then there is a cut to that shot of the scraggly bandit looking straight at us, just his head and his face, his bust level and his shoulders. And then he raises the gun into the frame, points it at us, and without flinching, fires twice. Well, in the version I saw, it's six times he empties the bullet, empties his gun, and then he keeps pulling even after ah, it's empty. Fine. So what I think is going on there with that guy, however many times he shoots, but he's he's equally bloodless, I imagine. Yep. Um, the movie starts out in the station. It starts out with modern American technology that is civilizing the West, right? We've got the train, we've got the telegraph, we've got the station agent, but all alone he can do nothing. Then we have an assault on this, which is set right. So it looks as if modern America will be able to survive quite nicely and keep reconstituting its small towns. But while we may have been happy to see the robbers get killed, and we may have laughed when these citizens of the little town shoot bullets at the feet of the Easterner. That last shot reminds us that in this world of violence, it may look good, but just below the frame, there is lurking that new other technology, that technology of death. And in the hands of bad men who are just beyond the border, just outside of our vision, they're still there and lurking. In fact, the background of that shot is is black, right? We don't know where he is. It's just mm -hmm. him looking at us. So what we get is the notion that there's always subterranean violence because people are fundamentally violent. We can keep pushing the frontier, but we can never fully guarantee our safety. Uh, this is a Western-ish uh, movie. Um, the the particular outgroup can have their hash settled, but the idea that there are aliens out there threatening us, yeah. uh, they may even be among us. This is this is really cool because what you're saying really leads into uh, what I what I take from this film as you know, other than the techniques, which I think are are well showcased. And uh, one of the things that happens in the development of movie making is you can sort of see the vocabulary and the grammar all coming in when they came in, how, how those techniques are used. You know, when if you watch a movie like Star Wars, which I've seen uh, when I was a kid, I saw it like 25 times. You, you sort of know where all the cuts come and how some of them are swipes and some of them are fades. And, right? and all of these grammar things are in there. Um, in here, we've got those two those two shots with a moving image in the background uh, showing movement. Uh, one of the train moving by and the other you're in the train the landscape moving by those are in there um, because they're cool um, and they help give you a sense of what's going on but more importantly they're cool right the audience seeing that is like wow they're really on a train right right although out they are <laughs> wow they're they're on a train yard um, because the when you first see these these are going to be amazing but uh, uh, speaking of the words that are actually in this film, the words that are in this film the most are Thomas A. Edison. It's at the end. 
he he puts a little e his logo in the corner of each uh the the only two title cards um his name's in the logo at least uh, twice in the in the first title card and in the end credit um his his logo is in every corner and it says thomas alva edison or thomas a edison um and trademark and copyright right and what's so funny is Thomas Edison basically invented uh, the American film industry and then lost it. And the reason he lost it is all the filmmakers that he had trained up were unable to uh, wrestle from him the the film rights to make their own movies. He, he had a lockdown on the technology and they had to do exactly what you're saying this movie doesn't quite do. They had to move west. They went all the way as far west as they could. They went to Hollywood, where they really invented the western film, based on this eastern filmed western. It's it was filmed in New Jersey and uh, and areas nearby. It's supposedly I would guess it's supposed to be set in the west. Yeah. Um, with all the horses and the uh, you know this is sort of the stuff of of uh, 19th century American legend, right? Is train robberies and uh, shootouts and all, all those, you know, posses. That's the that's the vocabulary of of um, 19th century mythology America, at least at least post uh, uh, Civil War. And uh, so I I just for me seeing that copyright copyright twice on the same image, right? Trademark trademark. And then uh, Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison, right? He's locking it down. The only other words are the end or just end and uh, the name of the movie, which is The Great Train Robbery. I, I think seeing Edison's name and those <clears throat> legal uh, notions there, um, very, very important observation. The, this movie can be seen. There's another thread running through it that I think is really important. Um, Edison is famous, among other things, for having patented more, gotten more patents than any other single individual. Although we now realize that many of those patents were actually on inventions that people in his laboratory invented, not him. But still, he organized it, oversaw it all. He 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 holds the record for the most patents, including mm-hmm. things like motion picture, phonograph, light bulb, telegraph. I mean, not telegraph, ticker tape. Um, you know, really important things that have to do with the development and and expansion of America. And this film is, in fact, visibly in the point you're talking about, um, an example of how he monetizes technology. Mm-hmm. The movie itself we see a conflict between a technologized world and a non-technologized world. The, the, we have the iron horse, the locomotive, and the actual horse. We have um, writing as a way of sending a message to the engineer, although he's already in the station, and yelling. We have the coal in the, in the tender that the stoker gets beat up from um, and the water going into the boiler. We have coal and water, which are comparatively natural uh, quantities, commodities um, in the service of the locomotive. The conflict between the iron horse and the organic horse is real. 
the conflict between those who live in the woods and those who live in town is real. If it were not for the the iron horse, those people who are trapped inside it would not be delivering up their valuables, which are themselves mm-hmm. things like watches. Uh, we see them taking off those objects and putting them into the sack. So what we have here is an evolving technology. And those who control the technology, whether they are the good guys, presumably the townspeople who make the Easterner dance, or the posse who get back property, or the bad guys, the robbers, whoever controls the technology is the one who's going to be in control of this world. And Mm -hmm. technology is locked in by those Eastern institutions like law. And judges yep. and courts. And Edison understood this. He had a lockdown on those. It's so funny that he has trademark, trademark. It's not just one. It's trademark twice. Copyright, copyright. It's like he's locked it like a lockbox, right? Yeah. Those were required for uh, the thing, but they wasn't required to have two, two of each. But he he locks it from beginning to end. And, and it, it, I think your analysis is exactly right. This is... It, in my understanding, in my reading of of what Edison did to the film industry, is he, he created it and then he kept it so locked down that any attempt to fight him in the East was just defeated. And it, it, the filmmakers had to move west, all the way west, in order to get out from under the influence of him and his judges and his law lawyers so that they could exercise the the... Not the trademark, but the the technology, right? Yeah. There there are – there's a very interesting episode in the history of film. You wouldn't see it in this movie, of course, um, of a time between going from New York studios in New Jersey – New Jersey is where – where Edison had his his lab and where he he had his studios. Uh, he used some New York locations for the in-studio shots in this film, but or I should say Porter did. But the studios themselves, the, the back lots and so on, were, were in New Jersey. In fact, there's a, a mall called the Menlo Park Mall where I some t- just this weekend I went to see a film, um, Tarzan, uh, The Legend of Tarzan, uh, which, of course, was written by a guy writing out in California. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a time in between the Menlo Park period and uh, California. There are a couple of reasons to move. One is the technical reason uh, and the legal reason that you mentioned. Um, And we can see filmmakers trying to escape Edison a little bit uh, for a small period of time. Um, Ithaca, New York, was actually the most active Uh, location for film in America. In The Perils of Pauline, when we see her dangling over the edges of gorges, those are the gorges that run through the Cornell University campus today. Mm. Um, But Ithaca, New York, even worse than than Middlesex County, New Jersey, just doesn't get enough days of reliable sunshine, (laughs) right? So one of the reasons that the film industry went to Southern California was to get far away from Uh, Edison's litigation. But another reason they went is because they knew it would be a lot easier to film. So again, the technology is driving the movement. When you see that scene in this movie of the passengers who are going to be robbed, 
in today's films, we usually see robbers walking down the aisle in the train and demanding the valuables from the passengers. Mm. In this movie, they don't do that. One of the reasons they don't do that is it wouldn't have been feasible to take a film, to make a film of people walking down an enclosed space. They just didn't have fast enough films. So instead, they make all the passengers come out of the of the train. But interestingly, to when they do that, they all line up on one side of the second set of tracks. So the trains are made to run on time. The, they are made to run in a predictable way. And the people have become technologized. And they are made to line up by the robbers. One person has the nerve to try to escape them. And he does it by running across the tracks. As soon as he crosses the tracks, the robber turns and shoots him. So the technology becomes a trap for all of us, even though that technology is what we turn to in order to be civilized. That train, of course, is going west. It's on its way. We now know with hindsight to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But there's always more to say.